Have you ever wondered how a song is made? How it starts? What happens during the recording process? How does an idea become that beautiful three-minute thing you hear on the radio? My name is Emmeline, and in Journey of a Song, I take you on a tour of a musician's creative process, from the very first notes to the final, fully produced progression. As a singer-songwriter and an independent recording artist, I am intimately familiar with the magic of music creation, but I also know that each song has its own sacred story. Each week, I'll be talking to a different songwriter as they pull back the curtain on a favorite composition, beginning with the acoustic version of the song and ending with the final recorded product. In between, you'll hear a conversation about the inspiration behind the song, the decisions made in the recording booth, and the many ways in which music reflects and informs our emotions and our lives. This week, my guest is the intentional, thoughtful singer-songwriter, Alexandra. Originally from a small town in Ohio, Alexandra allowed her love for music to take her to Ohio University, where she studied music production and worked on the university record label. Once she graduated, Alexandra moved to Dallas-Fort Worth, just in time for the COVID-19 shutdown. Isolation held a mirror to Alexandra, and she used that difficult time to hone a sound that was uniquely her own. She's here today to talk about her latest single from that introspective time, Bonnie and Clyde. Welcome back to Journey of a Song. I'm your host, Emmeline, and I am so excited because we have today Alexandra on the show to talk about Bonnie and Clyde. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing so good. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And I'm excited because before we get into it, we're going to let the listeners have an exclusive glimpse at the acoustic Bonnie and Clyde right now. My friends always ask why I fall for the same type of guy Who say their favorite band is in 1975 Drive a little too fast, take advantage that I'm down for the ride Can't say I hate it Always wondered what it'd be like To be shotgun rocking over 95 Stop at a speedway Grab a pack of Marlboro You and I would be smoking guns So damn fun but dressing pretty white I think I know why I'll be sandy tonight Life's such a gift and I was the golden child Playing it way too safe But I always wondered what it'd be like To be shotgun rocking going 95 Stop at Speedway, grab a pack of marble Smoking guns, so damn fun, but dressing really white. Think I know why you're romanticized. Bonnie and Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde. So pull me over, baby, I'm ready to ride. Cop lights in the mirror make it look so fine. Pull me over, baby, I'm ready to ride Cop lights in the mirror make me want to know what it'd be Not to be shotgun rockin' goin' 95 Stop at a speedway, grab a pack of Marlboro Lights When I would be smoking guns, so damn fun But dressing pretty white, think I know why That was beautiful. Thanks so much for sharing. Oh, thank you so much. Of course. 
Yeah, I am so excited to talk about this song. You have made so many cool production choices. And it's really nice to hear the acoustic version so we can sort of talk about that progression. But you went to school for audio engineering. I did. I did. Yes, I did. So when you write, do you have those things in your head? Do you hear a full production or do you usually just sit down and kind of work from the story first? That is such a great question. I think, I mean, ultimately, I went to school for music production because I had two options. You know, when I went to college, I was like, okay, I can either study vocal performance um, or, well, I guess three. I could not study music at all. I could study vocal performance or um, OU has a really amazing media arts program. And I was like, okay, I don't know anything. I mean, I knew nothing. I barely garage band about, about music production. And I was really hesitant to kind of dive into that, especially with it being a male dominated field. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to hold my own in this space. And, but I was thinking, you know, this is going to make me a better artist. It's going to make me a better songwriter. It's going to give me more tools. So, um, to, you know, did the four-year program ended up, you know, by my senior year being like the head of production at our student label and learned everything from scratch. And to be quite honest, when I'm writing, I, I don't even, I don't even think about it. I, it seems kind of odd, but I, really thrive in collaboration. And I, even when I was in, in school, I thrived in the studio environment um, with my, with my colleagues, with my other classmates, because, you know, even when I was on a team at the label, we would work so closely together and bounce ideas off of each other. And that is how I get my ideas. You know, I, I sometimes envy, you know, artists like Maggie Rogers, who I admire, who use production um, as part of the songwriting process. But I have never been that way. If I sit down with an open session, I can, I'm sure I could figure my my way through it and, and use it as a tool. But I kind of love the art of songwriting in its rarest form, just a guitar or an instrument and a vocal. And then my greatest kind of like creative process comes from sitting in a room with with other producers that I admire and giving them this kind of raw thing and being like, what do you hear? You know, I kind of hear certain things, but usually when I get their perspective on it, it inspires me to get, a, you know, different ideas. And then all of a sudden we're bouncing ideas off of each other. And then it becomes something that I couldn't have even imagined for myself. So I think the production knowledge has helped me to, to feel stronger about my songwriting um, because I feel really excited about getting it in a space with another producer. Um, and it's not just like, okay, I'm going to write this and I'm going to perform it for gigs and then that'll be it. It's like, oh, I have this little seed. I have this little thing that I can take to these people that I admire and I can hear what they think about it and what they hear. And that inspires me ultimately. Yeah, that's beautiful. It sounds like what you have been able to do is give yourself a linguistic basis for communicating with people you really love in the music industry. Yeah, that's a great way of, of explaining it. Totally. So going to school for the production enabled you to understand kind of the language to use when you sit down in a space with other producers and say, here's my seed, right? Like, here's my, here's my tiny acoustic child. Exactly. What can we do with this? What do you hear in these sounds? Totally. And it provides me with a seat at the table. You know, I felt like before I studied production, you know, there is this little barrier, I think sometimes that, that songwriters or even just like acoustic singer songwriters face where they feel like, okay, I have this great song and I have to then kind of go into a space where I don't know any of this production stuff. So it then becomes somebody else's, you know, thing. Whereas when, since I do have this knowledge and I, I have been in these spaces, it's granted me with, with the basis to have these conversations and feel like I know what I'm talking about and feel like, okay, let's try this. Let's try this. What if we do this here? And it, it, kind of eliminates that that language barrier, um, which has provided me a more efficient collaborative space. Yeah, I love that you talk about having a seat at the table and how important that is. But especially that what gains you the seat at the table is having the confidence to take the seat at the table. And so it sounds like what you've been able to give yourself yeah. is that confidence to pull the chair back and say, no, I do belong here. Totally. And especially, you know, there was, of course, the driving force underneath all of that was the fact that I'm a young 
blonde woman, you know, and I knew coming into to spaces with with producers, usually when you're in a studio environment, it's a lot of men and it's a lot of older men. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of, you know, you see another blonde 20 something singer songwriter come in with this little acoustic guitar. And and I knew that that as much as I hate it, you know, as much as you don't want to admit it, those were the forces that I was working against. Mm -hmm. And so if I had this, this basis of knowledge, it not only gives me a seat at the table in the conversation, but it helps me work against that kind of implicit bias that exists in these spaces, whether we like it or not. Because it's like, not only do I have this song that I think is really great, I can also have a really, really knowledgeable conversation with anybody in this room about what the heck is going on. And I can exert dominance. I can exert um, direction. I can, I can move things in a different way if I don't like the way that it's going because I know what I'm talking about, you know, yeah. which is, has given me that confidence to be in advocate. those spaces. Yeah, you can advocate for yourself. Totally. Which is such an important skill as a songwriter, especially when you know that you have a song in which you hear potential or that you know means something to you because we've talked a little bit about this offline. Bonnie and Clyde is a personal song for you. Oh yeah, very much so. So you knew you were advocating for something that meant something to you personally and something that was meaningful and yeah. that you knew had the potential to reach other people because it kind of spoke to this common relationship yeah. experience, right? Of the girl who sees a guy yeah. who's aspirational, maybe not in the best of ways. Oh yeah. For me, this song was touching on something that I wasn't really finding in other songs. And it was the idea of, you know, you've spent your whole life being this golden child, this perfect, straight A, don't cause any trouble, easygoing, lighthearted girl. And when you meet someone that totally rebels and has resistance against that and goes against kind of everything that you have structured your life around, it is this incredibly like romantic, attractive, thing and there's a lot of songs about loving a bad boy but there's not a lot of songs about what that does to the the structure of your entire being when you are the polar opposite of that you know that layer of like you came along and challenged everything that i was um that layer of it it wasn't as simple as like found a bad boy and i love a bad boy and let's be dangerous together it was like you have forced me in, into a total 180. You have forced me into reevaluating everything that I am. Like maybe it is more fun to be more dangerous or do I want to do that? I've never done that before. Like, do I want to run shotgun for this? And, you know, I wrote this song in retrospect, you know, I was coming out of this relationship and thinking about, you know, you know, restructuring my life and building it back up. And I was thinking about, who I was when I was with him and what about him was so appealing. And this song was actually born out of that first line, that first line in verse one of my friends always ask why I fall for the same type of guy who say their favorite band is 1975. Mm -hmm. I wrote it in my phone as like, I have a whole notes app in my phone of just like one liners or thoughts, whatever. And, and I brought it to my producers as like a joke. I was like, this one would be a good song. Right. And they were like, actually, yeah, you know, let's try to write this thing. And, and we wrote it in one swipe. We just sat down and did the whole thing in a few hours. Mm. Yeah. That's so much I want to unpack in that. I love that. I, you know, first yeah, of all, let's do it. Let's but do it always starts with a line, right? I think so many songwriters who come <gasps> on the show talk about how, you know, a lot of truth is said in jest, or they have this like pithy moment of brilliance that they decide to you know, codify somewhere, whether it's their phone or they write it on a napkin or they write it on an envelope and they think to themselves, oh, wouldn't this be great? Except we discover it is actually this kind of subconscious seed. Yeah. It's this little bit of the voice inside of us that's been trying to speak for a long time. And this is sort of it's in to seeing the sun again. And it sounds like that's what it was for you, was you had been ruminating yeah. on this, whether you were aware that you'd been ruminating on it or not. And you had this sort of in-joke. Totally that suddenly turn into the truth in yeah a three minute song totally and i think it's such like a kitschy like kind of i don't know tongue-in-cheek line almost but for me like in that line is it says everything about the song you know like typically 
men that listen to the 1975. It's it's a metaphor for like the 1975. I mean, their music is, you know, I am a fan of the 1975. Secret is out. I am too. But their music is is about self-destruction and it is about drug abuse or it is about, you know, dysfunctional relationships. It's about all of these kind of heavier layered topics. And we listen to the music that we resonate with. And I think I have a, a history of kind of going for like these these bad boys. And what does that say about me? You know, like what does that say about who I am and and what I want to do in a relationship, how I want to mother a partner or how I want to nurture somebody and and I think it's so, it seems so kind of kitschy, but it, it really is everything about that song is in that opening line. Yeah, but you say in the third line, take advantage that I'm down for the ride, right? So you ever, like, you know, yeah. it's funny, because you have this, who say their favorite band is the 1975, and no hate to the 1975, right? Great music. But on the other hand, we No, all we love guy. the 1975. But we all know that guy. Yes. Yeah, we sure do. So we know we know we sure do. that guy. And I think, you know, you have the line drive a little too fast, right? You paint this beautiful picture of things that could be construed as negative, aren't necessarily negative, but how when they add up, they add up to something that doesn't quite feel authentic to who you are, but is still attractive and what it means to unpack that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think it's this, you know, I'm I'm a huge romantic and I think all of these things that could be, I guess, construed as bad, to me, when I was in the thick of this relationship, to me, it was liberating. It was romantic. It was free. It was this embodiment of like, I'm a woman. I'm a grown woman making grown choices. I mean, I met the the person that this song is about. I met them in college. And I still felt like a kid sometimes, you know? And, and we were together for a very long time. And when I wrote this song, you know, I was reflecting on what it felt like to to feel like a grown woman who made grown choices about what I did and didn't want to do and choosing to kind of lean into this, you know, he had this very like James Dean air about him where it was like there was a softness and a romantic kind of like deep down, I know you're good. But on the outside, he didn't give a, he didn't care about about anything. He was living his life as, as a grown man, making grown choices. And I was living as a child. And so I would ride shotgun and just kind of watch him in awe of like, oh, you are really just doing whatever the hell you want to do. And I wish I could do that. I wish that I was as free as this. And so there was this like feeling of, oh, I'm almost inspired by your rebellious, neglectful air. And it was, it forced me into a state of of looking at myself and it's like, why do I find that attractive? And I think a lot of women feel that way. It's like when you take on somebody, when you take on somebody as your partner, you're instead of just, you know, being in a relationship with them and coexisting with them, when you actually take them on, it's a whole other ball game, you know? And a lot of women feel that way for sure. I know they do. A lot of people have talked to me about that, which has been a really great experience with this song. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talked in the beginning about what it means to be a woman in a male-dominated space and all of the things that come with that. Uh, There's this great line in Scandal where she says, I work twice as hard for half as much, and that that's sort of what it means to her to be a female in a male-dominated industry is that you are working twice as hard for half the respect, just to get half the respect. And what I, how I think that manifests sometimes is this need for us to prove ourselves over and over. So we abide by the certain set of rules that we know are going to help us gain the respect we want, gain that sense of assertiveness, right? That ability to advocate for ourselves, that we feel like we have to earn those things. What I hear you saying Mm -hmm. is when we encounter somebody who doesn't think about any of that, there's a sense of envy there. Yeah, There's a sense of fascination because we never existed in a space where we didn't have to consider the consequences of our actions. Such a great point. And I think too, I've had so many amazing conversations with the women in in my life about how women are constantly fighting against this, this idea of wanting to be the cool girl. So you want to be cool. You want to be, you don't want to create any waves. You want to be down for the ride. You want to be 
you know, put maybe you're sitting shotgun and somebody's driving way too fast, but God forbid you say, hey, can you slow down a little bit? Because then you're no longer cool. You're no longer the easygoing girl. You, there's no middle ground. It's yeah. you're either super laid back, you can kick it with the guys, you create no waves, or you're drama. You're so much drama, you're high maintenance. There is no middle ground. And and that's in, in relationships, but that's also in professional spaces too, you know? Oh, absolutely. As I get older, I try to find myself, I'm trying to, to find out how to walk that line of like, how do I still advocate for myself and create boundaries and, and express my needs? But at the same time, I don't want to be, I mean, I'm not a high maintenance person. So it's like, how do you still be someone that someone wants to work with while still honoring yourself? It's, it's tough as a woman. It really is. Well, but it takes us rewiring ourselves, right? It's a, it's exactly what the process that you talk about when you talk about writing the song, having to go back and examine your own psychology, go back and examine what internalized structures yeah. might be preventing you from living like there are no consequences, or is that even the way you want to live? Because I think the truth is that none of us, I mean, you know, there's that great Janis Joplin line, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. None of us want nothing to lose. We want to have something worth losing in our lives. So you know, we don't actually want yeah. to be that free. We romanticize it because we all have, you know, some degree of deep-seated resentment about the fact that we're constantly thinking about the consequences of it and that we sometimes feel like our male counterparts aren't thinking about the consequences of it. But I do think it takes some unpacking because yeah. we do assign these terms like high maintenance to setting boundaries or we assign these terms like dramatic to a woman who just knows what she wants you know yeah oh yeah it's something that I have really studied closely it feels like you know even when I was in college and and I was in these spaces and I was um, we had a women in the music industry chapter at OU and I was the vice president of that chapter and we're facilitating all of these conversations about just all of the the structures that are set that we're working against you know working twice as hard for half as much and it's it's been really really interesting to unravel it as I as I am a solo artist now and, and I didn't put out music um, my own music as Alexandra until the pandemic mm. and you know in that space I had to really evaluate like how am I going to do this how am I how do I want to do this how do I want to be a solo artist how do I want to move forward as just me as a woman in this space. And it hasn't been easy, you know, it really has not been easy at all, but it's been enriching. I feel like I've learned so much. Um, I think a lot of like my pacing, you know, I have people on my neck all the time about like, we want more music, we want more music. And I'm like, I want to do this the right way. And I want to do this my way. And, you know, it's, you're working against a lot of things that people don't see, really. Yeah, and I feel like so much of that starts with us changing our own language around it, saying to ourselves, okay, I'm not dramatic, mm. I'm not high maintenance, I'm not calculating, I am thoughtful, I am careful, yeah. I'm conscious, I am intentional. And which, I am strong, and yeah. I'm strong. And those are totally different words than manipulative and, you know, all of these other things that we could think. But also, yeah. it, it, it forces us to give ourselves permission to take our time. I want to back up a little because I know you went through quite a journey during the pandemic. Can you set the scene for our listeners? When you yeah. say OU, you're talking about Ohio University. So you were in college. Oh, yes. <laughs> in this wonderful community yes. of women in the music industry, but you were also yes. learning the skills and tools you needed to take a seat at the table once you graduated. Yes. So what happened? What happened yes. once you graduated? Yeah. So once I graduated, you know, right before actually like my in between my junior and senior year of college, I moved to LA and spent some time out there interning and living and learning and singing, um, which was really enriching. And then I came back for my senior year of college and I was in this relationship. So once I graduated, you know, I had to make a decision about what I was going to do. And, you know, I applied to jobs everywhere, music industry jobs, but also teaching jobs and just anything in music, really. I was like, I'll apply everywhere. And if the universe wants me to go to Texas, then I'll go to Texas, which was where my partner at the time was was from. And um, he was going back to Texas and and I ended up um, getting a really great offer to teach, which was not in my plan at all. But at the time I was like, OK, let's go. Let's just do it. And and I leaped and 
and I lived um, in like South Dallas for a year and a half until January of 2020. And then January of 2020, we broke up and I moved out and I had to find my own space. And at this time, the pandemic was really just talks. It was just whispers and COVID more so than the pandemic. I mean, it was just COVID at the time and, and COVID was just whispers and found this place and moved in. And all of a sudden, three weeks later, it was shut down. Everything was shut down. And so I went from uh, being with somebody every single day and him and I were with a community every single day. I mean, we spent every day together for years. And then I was alone. I was alone with myself. I think I had my couch, my bed, my guitars, some pots and pans. I mean, I didn't have much, a table maybe. And all of a sudden I had nobody. I had all of my friends that were still in Ohio and I had my ex who lived 45 minutes away. So I slowly had to rebuild and I sat by myself in this apartment. I was teaching online. I wasn't even really leaving my apartment. And I was just in the thick of what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do? I wasn't, when I was, you know, with him, I wasn't really writing that much. I was still playing little coffee shop gigs just because, you know, this is my thing and I've been doing it my whole life, but I wasn't really writing. So I was like, I guess I can start writing. And I had a lot to write about. <laughs> so I did, I started writing and I played, you know, some virtual open mic nights and I slowly started meeting my neighbors who then introduced me to my friends and slowly bought some furniture and made some connections and met my producers. And uh, I met one of my producers, it's, it's two of my lovely colleagues and they're married and they lived in Austin at the time. Mm -hmm. And I met um, Callie in a women's like Facebook group for, for women in, in the music industry. Mm -hmm. And we just started talking and she was like, me and my husband produced, we're also in a band. And I was like, okay, if you're cool with it and you feel safe and comfortable, I will, I will isolate and then I will drive to Austin and started demoing this record. And then all of a sudden it's been two and some change years. And I have a whole record just sitting on my phone and we put out three songs and been playing gigs and meeting more people. And I have a lot more furniture now. <laughs> And we built this whole thing from scratch. We made it happen. And it's, I'm still, I think, sometimes healing from, from all of it. But I don't think that ever really goes away. So I'm now in a much better spot. But it was, it was doomsday for a little bit there. I mean, obviously, it provided me with a lot of things to write about. But it was not easy. No, but it sounds like it was something that you didn't run from, which is such an important message to our creatives who are listening, and especially to our oh. songwriters who are listening, that your power isn't in running from your big feelings or your scary feelings. It is in the quiet, sometimes messy, super uncomfortable process of sitting with those feelings, because that's, that's where the gold and the wisdom is. I mean, it sounds like that's what you were able to dig into to pull out these songs to pull out this whole record that you now have sitting on your phone. Yeah, I mean, that. thank you for saying that because it's when all of this happened and everything blew up and all of a sudden I'm living alone for the first time ever and everybody was like, well, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna go back to Ohio? Or are you gonna go to LA? And I was like, hell no, I'm gonna stay right here in Dallas. I, you know, everybody's like, you're 45 minutes away. Don't you wanna get away? And I, I'm really, really one of the proudest, you know, things, one, the most proud I feel of myself is the fact that I was like, listen, I am going to reclaim all of this. I'm going to reclaim this city, all of the spaces that him and I were in. I'm going to reclaim all of that. I'm going to make new memories there. I'm going to make new memories here. You know, I really dedicated myself to, I have to see this through. I think I was just talking about this this weekend with my friend. I really, really needed as much as he, you know, there was so much pain in it. He, him and I breaking up was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I mean, I thank him for it. It provided me with a rock bottom that I built this whole life on and it comes from the fear of just what the hell am I going to do? Am I going to sit in this or am I going to leave? And I sat and I sat and I sat and I sat and it sucked. It was horrible, but it, it was necessary. And it was ultimately 
what helped me create this music and build these friendships that I that I love deeply. That's I love that you say that. And I love that you highlight the courage that it takes to do that, because I think it is such a courageous act. And I'm so glad it's something that you're proud of yourself for doing, because it should be. It's hard. But the only way out is through because the things that we run. The only way out is through. Totally. And they get more painful. The, The lessons that you avoid become more painful and more uncomfortable until you learn them. I have learned. Yeah. And what a gift to be able to give yourself the space and the time to learn the lesson and then to write the lesson into a song so you can share that lesson with other people. Be like, maybe it won't be as painful for you as it was for me. Totally. And once I put these songs out, like my first single that I put out, Bad Stuff, was terrifying to put out because you know, all of my friends knew who this was about and my everybody knew what, you know, and it is so terrifying. People don't understand how terrifying it is to, it's like ripping a page out of your diary and putting it on the wall. I mean, you, it is scary. And doing that was one of the bravest things I think I've ever done. And as I'm trying to put out this other music, I have to remind myself of that bravery that I had when I put out that first song because it's only going to get more and more honest from here. And it's, it's overwhelming to think about, but it's, it's good. It's good. It's part of the healing. And then once I put it out, it's not mine anymore. Like when I put bad stuff out, I was overwhelmed with the amount of messages I got from, from women that were like, I really needed, I I remember vividly this message I got on Instagram from this girl. And she said, I just went through a breakup and I've been looking for a song that made me feel like I wasn't alone in this and it explained something that I couldn't explain. And this song does that for me. And thank you for that. And I was like, okay, great. I'm good. Like I, I, the pain was worth it. You know, it's, it's no longer mine anymore once it comes out. And so that's a good feeling for sure to get it out there in the universe as terrifying as it is. Well, yeah, but I think the most powerful message we can give to each other, not just as women, but as humans, is you're not alone. Is that big, scary feeling that yeah. you think you're sitting in the dark with that nobody has ever seen before, has been seen before, has been fought before, yeah. has been lived through and worked on and negotiated and navigated and you know beaten into submission. Like We've all had that feeling you're not alone. And that's such an empowering message to send. It's such an empowering message to receive. There's this great Taylor Swift quotation where she says that her favorite songs are songs that say how she's feeling better than she could. Yeah. And I think that to be that song for someone else is such a gift as a songwriter. Oh, it's the best gift. It's the whole point. It's the whole point. It's what motivates me to continue to put music out. You know, I have, like I said, this whole record sitting on my phone and besides like logistical things that keep it from coming out, sometimes what keeps it from coming out is is me being like, ooh, do I really want the whole world to know that about me? Do I? Because I'm a pretty private person. I have this weird relationship with social media and like the whole TikTok thing. Like I am a very private person. And so innately I have a little bit of resistance towards a lot of what being a singer songwriter in present day looks like. And what motivates me is the idea that other people can find community and solace in my songs. Yeah, in the same way that we as musicians have found it in other people's songs. Or have found it in our own writing. I mean, can you imagine sitting in your apartment without your guitars? Right. What a journey. Right. I think that makes the sitting with it so much more difficult. (laughs) So... I think it's such a beautiful gift, though, to be that honest and to give yourself permission to be that honest. But I I love that you talk about how each act is courageous, how it's not just the releasing of the music. It's not just the writing of the music. It's the engagement on social media. It's the how much of myself do I share? It's the what does that look like? How do I keep me and still do the things that I know I have to do to have a successful music career. And that's sort of the same conversation that you're having in this song, right? Is how do I keep me and have this relationship? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of, of songwriting for me, at least just speaking about my process, my songwriting has forced me to get really honest with myself. You know, I try to become observant of like the lines that I go to write. And then I'm like, oh, that one might be too honest. And then I'm like, but is it? 
You know, like I try to stop myself and, and think about it in that moment of like, is this actually too honest or does it just feel uncomfortable? Because those are two different things, I think. And I, I think that that translates into like social media. I could talk about social media all day because I have so much like I love it and then I hate it and then it's important and then it's stupid. It's like it's so messy. But I guess everything is now in the music industry. It's all just kind of like choose your own adventure, pave your own way, you know. <laughs> but I think it's worth highlighting, especially for all of the songwriters, because, you know, shout out to the musicians who I know listen. Um, we're so grateful that you listen and that you find something reflecting truth to you in the podcast. Um, I, I think that's such an important question. I want to shout it again for the people in the back of the room. Is it actually too honest or does it just feel uncomfortable? That's such an important question for us to be asking ourselves especially in songwriting. I mean, in social media, it's a different ballgame, right? Because that is something that lives on the internet forever and ever and ever. Yeah. But in our art, in our expressive right. art, in the art that is supposed to be, you know, the space where we can't lie, but the space that shows us our truest yeah. selves. I mean, I, I think so frequently when I pick up a pen or when I sit down at a piano or when I pull out a guitar or a ukulele or whatever instrument happens to be closest, you know, I look to that to tell me the truth. Like that's where I'm not going to lie to myself. Yeah. So we have mm -hmm. a responsibility almost, I think, to listeners not to lie to the listeners to know that, yeah, yeah. music is the place where you can go for the truth, even if it is honest, even if it is uncomfortable. Yeah. Social media, though, like you said, is a different, it's a difficult ballgame. It's a different thing. So how do you feel like as an artist, yeah. you're still navigating that? Do you feel like you've got a better grip on who you are in social media? Can you share a little bit about your process there? Yeah, totally. Um, well, I think for social media, it's specifically for Instagram. I, when I started this, you know, solo artist adventure, I had two Instagrams. I had an Alexandra Music Instagram, and then I had my personal. And for a while, I thought that that was the right thing to do because I wanted to keep my personal life my personal life, and then I wanted to keep my music my music. But then, you know, upon reflection, I'm like, okay, well, my music is is my personal. Like it is me. They're they're not separate. They're one and of the same. And, and my Alexandra page was so curated. I mean, it was just, you know, it was graphics of gigs coming up or like, you know, content that we had shot and it didn't feel real necessarily. And so I ultimately earlier this year was like, forget it, screw it. And we deleted it and put everything on my personal page, which was, I think the better decision for sure, because I didn't, I could barely keep up with or like one Instagram, let alone two. Like that was so silly for me. So I, you know, can join them. And now I, all I'm facing is just how do I use this app for good? How do I use this app as a place to collect my memories and collect my thoughts and my photos and my journey as a singer and as a person without hyper fixating on how I'm being perceived because you, there's a fine line that artists kind of teeter on, which is like, you're going to be perceived regardless. So obviously you're thinking about, okay, well, when I post this, people are going to look at it and they're going to think about, you know, it, and they're going to perceive it. So how authentic can you really be? And I struggle with it. I really struggle with it. I'm going to be so honest because I'm sure other artists do as well, because I don't, I hate the idea of being a brand. I resist. I, I just, it's like, how can a human being be a brand? I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it. And I know it's necessary. And I know it's the, it's the language that people are using, but I resist it, man. I, I have people who are like, well, what is your brand? And I'm like, they're just pictures. I don't know. They're just, they're just photos of my life. What is that? Whatever the brand is, I guess it just is. I'm not trying to curate something specific. I'm not a toaster strudel. I'm not like I'm a human being. That's so bizarre to me. And, and so as a singer, I literally just try to post my life. And if the music is part of my life, then it gets posted. And if there's a graphic from a gig, I'm going to post it. And if I don't feel like it, I'm not going to post it. Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. I'm trying just to kind of simplify it. And I think that 
hopefully resonates with other people because that's the only way I'm going to do it. So I'm hoping that that it resonates with people. And I think it does because we're getting, I think everybody's collectively getting to a point where we're sick of this like over curated content. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why TikTok has been so successful. Um, but I, I actually deleted TikTok off my phone recently because I was spending way too much time on it. But I have to re-download it soon because it's part of the music industry. Like I need to start posting TikToks and it's like, it's just such a grind. I love that you highlight though the, I mean, and this is, this is our second in a row, right? Where we've talked about the love-hate artist relationship with social media. I think what's such a beautiful and delicate and difficult journey is that we have to think of ourselves as a brand, but we also have to step away and think of ourselves as people because a brand does not write an honest song. Yeah. It's just not going to happen, but a person does. Yeah. So we, we exist yeah. in this strange space as songwriters where we have to be simultaneously deeply vulnerable and bulletproof because yeah, yeah. people are going to have reactions to us as a brand or to our songs as a brand or to our songs as products, mm-hmm. which is that's, see, that's the comparison I hate the most. Um, like, okay, I can think about an artist as a brand, but ooh, a song as a product, it's hard. It's hard for me. It's tough. Uh, it is, it's difficult, but I think that it has to start with the humanity, right? And I love that you kind of talk yeah. about how for you right now, the most organic thing is to think about, all right, if I wanna post, I'm gonna post. Like, I'm gonna bring this back to the human element. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, one of the most um, prominent, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Value that I'm I'm trying to prioritize in my life is my integrity mm. and my integrity as a human, as a friend, as a singer songwriter. And there are certain things that that I see on Instagram and I'm like, this just lacks integrity. This just lacks a certain type of of authenticity and and um value it's just mindless and that's what i try to avoid and whatever i post is i want to be thoughtful mm. and i want to do it with integrity and i want to look back on it like i don't want to look back on it in in two years and be like that was lame you know like i want to like that was just so lame like why did i do that that just completely counteracted everything all the work that i'm putting in on my on myself yeah. and so everything that i post i try not to think too much about it but i i'll post something and be like okay yeah that is a good reflection of me and feels good to post and I'll look back on that in some time and feel good about it and that's about it you know I try not to I try not to go deep too deep down the spiral but I could I could I think we all could but I think you know we have to do that when we release a song you know we talk a lot on the show and you highlighted it again today about how when we release it's not ours anymore so you're sitting on this whole album of songs was bonnie and clyde the first one that's beautiful no which is funny okay no it um the whole record is is about kind of the the deconstructing of this golden child um, persona and and feeling it wasn't even a persona it was the entirety of my being and kind of what my journey looked like you know, breaking down all of these systems that I had in place. Um, and so I had been writing since, I would say the earliest song on this record, I probably early 2020. And then, you know, I wrote a song um, about the Roe v. Wade overturn, which was in, was it in June? I believe that was in June. Um, or it was sometime this summer, obviously. And, and, you know, I wrote that recently and that'll probably be the last one that'll go on the record. And so it's been about two years of writing. I think I'm done. I think I'm done writing for this record. There's an amazing John Marin review that he did. Oh, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he was talking about how on this last record that he did, how, how he knew that it was done. And he was like, I didn't, I just had to tell myself that everything that I write from this point on is going on the next one. And I'm kind of at that point now where I'm just kind of like, okay, I, I also feel different than I felt, you know, in these last few years. I've put in so much work to heal. So I think the music will feel different too. So Bonnie and Clyde was written in, my goodness, about a year ago, October of last year. Mm. So it's, it was one of the newer ones for sure. 
So what was the song that kicked it all off? What was the song that started this project? I, honestly, it was Bad Stuff. Bad Stuff, actually, did I write? Winter and Bad Stuff were written. I think I wrote Bad Stuff on a Friday night and Winter on a Saturday night. Mm. And those two together kind of sparked this whole thing because they were the, the first two songs that I was writing in the thick of this pain and and in the thick of like okay I really want to put music out as a solo artist and and that was bad stuff in winter and then we ended up putting those two out you know as soon as we could and then everything else is gonna go on we're gonna do hopefully a new single you know before the end of the year maybe two and then um, everything else will be album tracks and we're gonna put the album out next year so oh neat that's awesome so when you sat yeah. down you mentioned Callie, um, do you want to share a little bit about your yes. producers? And you said that you brought them yeah. the first two lines of this song, and then you guys wrote it in like three hours. Yeah. So my producers are Gabe and Gabe Neal and Callie Dixon, and they're in a duo called Just Friends, which is so funny because they're married. Um, <laughs> but they're in a band called Just Friends, and then they also produce. Um, and I met Callie online during the pandemic. And we just had a bunch of Zoom meetings and I played them a bunch of my songs. And at the time and still, I'm just looking for collaborators that love my music and that I respect and I admire. I'm not in it for a check. I don't want people that are in it for a check. I want people that just love to make music and love my music and believe in it. And and they did and they've become dear friends. And so, you know, it was a handful of trips down to Austin when they were living there and um you know, we would demo a few songs and then I would go back to Dallas and we would do Zoom meetings like this where we would talk about production stuff that we wanted and, and then Gabe would work on it for a few days and send me stuff and then we'd go back and forth and, and we did that um, for all three of the singles that I have out. Um, but, you know, the best thing about them is is we're friends. We're friends and we take care of each other and we love each other and, and they love me and they want to do it with me because we've done it together from the start and we're going to hopefully just do this. We're going to ride this all the way out. And I've had opportunities to work with other people and, and I'm adamant, you know, I'm loyal and I'm adamant that I'm like, no, it's Gabe and Callie are in this thing with me and we're going to do it together and you can come on board, but they're not going anywhere. And I respect and admire the heck out of them. So, and they're amazing musicians and, and there's just a certain type of like, synchronicity that we have because they've seen me through a lot of this pain too as as friends and so you know they move so delicately and so kindly through some of these more difficult songs and I don't know if I can find that in a lot of other people so they're amazing we've done this whole record together and and it's just going to be more and more music from us so it's it's been great that's so exciting well Thank you so much for coming on to share all of these beautiful things. I am oh. so excited that we have another passionate, emotional, truth-telling, honest female in the DFW music scene. Um, if people want to find you, if they're like, gosh, Alexandra sounds amazing. I love this song. Where can I hear more? Where's the best place for them to chase you down? Chase me down on Instagram at Alexandra Music because I'll post whenever I feel like it, but I will also post, no, I'll post, I'll post all like the gig information and when the new music comes out. And then I also am hosting a creative circle um, every Sunday. You know, if you're a songwriter and, and you just need a space to, to write and it's no, there's no fee, it's free. You just come hang out and um, share your music. And so um, you can always message me on Instagram about that. Um, I have a website link in my bio on Instagram too. And then hopefully I'll be playing more gigs in the area and I'll post about those as well. That's awesome. So for our radio listeners, one more time, that's Alexandra Music on Instagram. And it's A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A. And they can find the link if they're listening on a podcast in the show notes below. You can just scroll up and click um, and we'll have it linked. The last thing for us to do is to introduce your song. Would you like to give people the intro to the fully produced version of Bonnie and Clyde. Absolutely. All right, everybody. This is Bonnie and Clyde by Alexandra. I hope you enjoy it.
for joining me for this week's episode of Journey of a Song, featuring the mindful Alexandra and her song, Bonnie and Clive. To learn more about Alexandra or to follow her musical journey, find her on Instagram at Alexandra Music. That's at A-L-E-X-A-N-D-R-A Music. For behind-the-scenes glimpses and more about Journey of a Song, follow me on Instagram at at Emmeline Music. That's at E-M-M-E-L-I-N-E Music. Don't forget to check out my other podcast, Journey of an Artist, wherever you listen to podcasts. Journey of a Song airs Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on Deep Ellum Radio, and each episode is available as a podcast the very next day. Discover new music and hear fascinating stories with me, Emmeline, every Friday on your favorite podcast app. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. This is only the beginning, and I don't want you to miss a single minute of these inspiring conversations. If a picture is worth a thousand words, a song is worth a thousand stories.